Welcome everyone to our latest NCAA social series, episode number 20. I'm Andy Katz, pleased to be joined by NCAA president, Mark Emmert, the president of Kentucky, Dr. Eli Capilato, also a member of the NCAA board of directors, a board of governors, and Dr. Brian Hayline, NCAA's chief medical officer. Um, Mark, I wanna start with you. Um, a lot of news this past week, and then uh, Dr. Capilouto, I want to move to you, and then and Dr. Hainline. Uh, let's start with the Board of Governors meeting uh, and what came out of there this past week and the, the, the decision to have Divisions 1, 2, and 3 make separate decisions for their fall sports. Yeah, first of all, good to be with you again, Andy, as always. And it was indeed a, a, a very important uh, week in college sports. Uh, the Board of, of Governors made essentially two really big, broad decisions. The first was to take a series of steps to make sure that students, uh, student athletes, should they participate in fall sports, be as protected as possible by laying out uh, the, the policies that must be followed for schools to continue to play sports. The second was uh, the, the decisions around making sure that student athletes are treated fairly in all of this, that their scholarships, should they opt out, be, uh, be guaranteed, that they are not stuck with, uh, with out-of-pocket expenses, should they contract COVID-19, uh, that they understand what their, what their rights and opportunities are for uh, the eligibility uh, going into the year if they lose a season because of COVID-19, and finally, that, that schools cannot uh, force a student athlete to sign away his or her legal um, responsibilities or opportunities uh, around the disease. Based on all of that, they then said, okay, with those components in place, then each of you three divisions, you need to make a decision whether or not you want to move forward based upon all of those variables being in place. Uh, you know, the difference between a small liberal arts school and a, a mega university is enormous. So going from Swarthmore to Ohio State, those are pretty big differences in schools. And it only makes sense to let the three divisions then decide on their own how they wanted to proceed. And, and as you saw, you know, two divisions uh, immediately decided, divisions three and two said, well, under, under these circumstances, it doesn't make sense for us to, to pursue uh, fall sports. Uh, Dr. Capilato, how, how did you see it? Well, I uh, appreciate Mark and his leadership, and I think it was wise, as he said, to leave uh, responsibilities at the uh, division level. First of all, uh, the easiest part of all this uh, was supporting our student athletes. I know in the Southeastern Conference, we had passed uh, our resolutions, our rules uh, to guarantee many of the things that we discussed uh, at, at the Board of Governors and supported. Uh, the only one that really takes uh, collective action is the eligibility issue, uh, to be able to say to every student athlete across uh, all of our uh, conferences and divisions that um, you're gonna be okay when it comes to eligibility. So our council will work on that, exactly uh, what it means. But the health and safety issues that Mark just went over uh, we're in full alignment, full support, and Dr. Hainline, uh, working with the medical experts at our conference and other conferences, uh, we, uh, there's great unanimity around what we think the best science tells us to do now. Um, so um, 
we know we still have tough, tough choices, uh, more analysis, uh, more decisions, but I think we ended at a good place yesterday. Dr. Hainline, uh, before I get to the resocialization and the criteria and the protocols, which we've talked about quite often here uh, over the last 20 weeks, uh, I unfortunately like to get an update from you and sometimes it's not been great. So where are we right now here in the first week of August? Because um, we can't think about where we thought we would be. Where are we right now in terms of trying to get at least a little bit closer to potentially playing fall sports? Well, Andy, I think we're uh, in a, a place that is exceptionally narrow. I mean, the boundaries are you know, there's there's not a lot of places to to move one way or the other, and and almost everything would have to be perfectly aligned to continue moving forward. But, but I think it depends on one thing that that Dr. Capaluto spoke about that's really really important when he mentioned that that I was working with with the Southeastern Conference medical experts, the Autonomy Five medical experts. When when you look at this document, I mean. This is not a document that comes from the NCAA Sports Science Institute. It, it's leading experts from so many institutions, and, and especially we work very closely with the Autonomy Five, but also, you, you know, like last week when, when we had Dr. McDougall with the National Medical Association, with this external panel of experts we have, the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine. The CDC spent a great deal of time with us and, and helping us to, to, to shape this document, our own Committee on Competitive Safeguards. So, so there are, uh, I, I think just amplifying Dr. Capilouto's point, there are numerous medical minds that, that thought about this and, and said, look, these are the conditions that are necessary. And again, going back to your original question, those conditions are, are pretty strict. So, you know, it's balancing setting national guidance, but the national guidance says, well, what's happening at your local level? And that's very different than in, in, in Vermont than it is in, in Florida. So it's a combination of national guidance and understanding what's happening locally. And um, yeah, so is it possible? Yeah, fall sports are possible. That's I think why the Board of Governors landed where, where, where they did land, um, but they said, but it's possible we must do these things. It's not considered doing these things. We must do these things. And these are the things that numerous, numerous medical experts all aligned around, and that's a really key point. So I wanna pick up on that, uh, Mark and Dr. Capilouto. Um, you know, we've had this discussion for weeks on this program that the NCAA office and led by the coronavirus advisory board, uh, coronavirus advisory board and Dr. Hainline, there have been protocols, mandates, but at the same time, as you said, Mark, there are different institutions, all levels, private, public. Uh, there are governors who are doing different things across 50 states. So with that being the backdrop, how hard can it be to demand versus mandate when you have so many other competing interests and in some instances some you know governors that are going to do their own thing essentially because they have state institutions mark start with you yeah well, i, I want to be clear this is this is going to be difficult to say the least going forward uh, but when you look at a, a university like president capilouto's you know the protocol that he's applied not just for student athletes, but for the entire campus. Uh, they're doing some remarkable things there, but they're committing and, and, and making it a, 
on a high enough priority that they're committing enormous amounts of resources, human and financial to the task. Uh, and, and when it comes to sports, there are schools that can and want to do that. And there's schools that can't or decide that they, they think it's inappropriate to do so. And, and what the board was saying, I believe in, in those mandates is that, look, if you, if you can't or don't want to meet these expectations, we understand, but then you need to make a decision that you can't move forward or shouldn't move forward with fall sports. And so we've seen a lot of conferences and a lot of, a lot of uh, two of the three divisions make those choices. That's not in any way a criticism of them, quite the contrary, they were recognizing the realities on the ground. Uh, and then the schools that are now still pondering uh, the future for, for fall sports, uh, the Division I schools that have until the 21st are going to be examining whether or not they can meet those standards and walk that very narrow path that Brian was talking about. But we're all really hopeful that, that can be done. Obviously, everybody wants to have kids back on campus. Everybody wants fall sports to return, but we can't do it unless we unless we can find a way to do it with minimized risk for these for these young people. You are? Yes, uh, I, I like to step back, step back from this uh, um, and recognize this. I think one of our first principles in the documents that I looked at over the last couple of days is uh, we have to fully comply with state and local guidelines and health department uh, matters around quarantine and all that. That's not an option. No one ever expected to deny those. Uh, but. Uh, someone with a background in public health, as I step back and look at this, uh, this, this virus has um, revealed more starkly uh, the disparities that exist. Uh, and it varies by location and university. It's not just simply a university that may be high resource. Uh, but if you happen to be in a hot spot, whatever your resources, you may be overwhelmed. Uh, we spend, I think, 18% of our gross domestic, domestic product on uh, medical care. We spend 3% on public health infrastructure. So those weaknesses are all exposed. Mark made reference to what we're doing here. I hope it works. Uh, we tried to build a modern public health infrastructure. So we're testing every student. We're into day three. Our numbers seem to be low. We'll be publishing those. Uh, but what is fantastic is we have a COVID command center. We have 15 uh, contact tracers. They have maps of where these uh, cases, uh, where people live immediately when a test is positive. We've been immediately moving people into quarantine, isolating. The turnaround time on our contact tracing thus far is a matter of hours. Um, you know, public health systems across the country are taking days. Well, I don't care what you do as a university. If you're in one of those situations, you, you have to protect the community and the community has to protect you. And all of our health depends on everybody else's health. So I think that's the, you know, the differences that are at the table at a board of governors meeting. And what we tried to do is set up what are standards, agree that we all are going to live by those, and also recognize that Brian and the other experts that he talks about and he's working with daily, uh, new science is, is coming every day. 
hopefully point of, point of care tests can be available. Uh, these would be breakthroughs, but we're, uh, we're realistic about what we're facing. And I'd agree with Brian that it, it is a narrow path. You know, Brian, we, we've talked about on this program um, about how it's not the hours when the student athlete is in the weight room competing uh, or even the student potentially in a hybrid class where they're eating those other hours of the day. Um, from what uh, Dr. Capilouto is just talking about at the University of Kentucky, it almost sounds like you could create, and I know a lot of these other universities are trying to do this, almost like their own bubbles of, of safety. The question is, of course, what happens when you have people that are in that one bubble competing against another group of people in that other bubble? How do we get to that point? Well, there's two ways, Andy. There's, there's the short way, which is you, you just have to mandate that there's a validation and, and so, you know, one team from uh, one, one bubble or another team that's from a bubble or maybe not, uh, there, there has to be a way of validating that everyone has done the right thing. The longer path, I think, has to do with uh, some, some very important points that, that Dr. Capilouto uh, spoke about. And th this is, I mean, these are critical. I mean, talking about the amount of money we spend on healthcare versus public health, and we could go deeper. The amount of money we spend on healthcare 95% of that is spent on treating disease and 5% is, is spent on preventative medicine. So we don't have a mindset in this country of, of global public health, of, 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 of really preventative care, of really looking out for one another. It's, it's very individualistic and, 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 and it's a different sort of mentality. And if we had a public health mentality, we would all be in this together. I mean, this is a pandemic and affecting all of humanity. So it wouldn't be, you know, I'm wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. It would be, how do I do the right thing? Because this is the mindset of what really makes a great country. And, and so that's the long-term strategy. And, and, and so if you go to University of Kentucky, you're going to see that mindset because that's the leadership there, quite frankly. I mean, I'm not, not doing this, uh, Leo, because I, I, or Eli, I mean, <laughs> because I, I need to, you know, get your good wishes or anything. I mean, it's just a fact. You understand public health and you've done the right thing, but that's the sort of leadership we need uh, across this country. We need to do the right thing for one another, and, and we're all in this together as, 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 as human beings. So, yeah, two sorts of points of view on that, short term and long term. Mark, you were a former university president. Um, it's not an easy job right now, or it's not never been an easy job, but certainly not now. Uh, what are you hearing from your colleagues about how they're going to manage those other hours, those uncontrollable hours when they can't have their sort of their healthcare hands around their student body? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, Eli can address that as well. But as a former university president, somebody spent, you know, 40 years on on university campuses, uh, one thing you know is that uh, trying to control the uh, the leisure hours of uh, college-age young men and women is a is a challenge under any circumstances. So I think it's going to be very difficult. Uh, a lot of places are trying to to keep students, not just student athletes, but students in general, in in essentially pods, so that they they live together, eat together, study together socialize together. The advantage of that, of course, is that should you have an outbreak, it's, it's contained within that, that pod. Uh, th this is an experimental model. Uh, we don't know if it will work fully, but certainly it's worth trying. 
relying upon all of the educational opportunities that you can provide to get students to to behave appropriately is is certainly on everybody's uh, list of of uh, moving in requirements this this fall when students are coming back to campus uh, distributing masks distributing sanitation uh, constantly providing reminders and education doing all of those things are what's required now because you do have to treat it as a a campus community-based public health issue uh, and and we're seeing a lot of um, new approaches to it and we're hopeful that those things work but we also know that there are going to be cases that that uh, occur. We know there will be outbreaks in some some situations, and then it becomes a matter of how quickly you respond, how quickly you can you can isolate the problem and and quarantine individuals uh, if you can continue to operate your campus. So Eli, you were talking about the contact tracers that you've got going at the University of Kentucky. Um, you know, how, how are you gauging sort of that on-campus and off-campus housing community? An analogy I like to use for people that uh, keeps me optimistic is automobile safety. So, uh, you know, thanks to Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which affected behavior, and thanks to how we made the automobile safer and the highway safer, I think your likelihood of uh, dying in a fatality, I mean, dying in a crash is probably 80% less than it was 25 years ago. Uh, so what did we do? We changed behavior and we changed the physical environment. We've tried to take that approach at the University of Kentucky. Uh, we've invested, we didn't do it for COVID, $2.4 billion, 6 million new or renovated square feet here. So every student that's going to live on this campus is going to have an individual room. That helps you start this. Uh, we have new spaces. We've converted our ballrooms in a new student center into spaced classrooms. Uh, we've done a variety of things, I say, to make it easier to be safe. Uh, new spaces lend themselves to being able to do this. New ventilation systems. We're erecting tents all over our campus. Hammock gardens, uh, Adirondack chairs, keep people outside. So we're, we're trying to alter the physical environment. And then the things that Mark uh, talked about, uh, uh, my wife and I live on campus. Uh, I was out at 5.30 this morning. Most of the people that are coming in are facilities, grounds people, but I love to see an early mask in the morning. Uh, probably don't need to have one on, but that's the discipline we're starting to see. We're working with our students. They're gonna be peers, they have a, a protect, respect, do your part campaign. I was deeply moved when I went to observe uh, this drive-through and walk-up testing. First of all, I haven't seen students in a while, but it was akin to voting and exercising a civic responsibility. You know, you walked up, you were handed a health kit with your thermometer and mask and sanitizing uh, solutions and all that, uh, you, you got tested. You, you know, you made a commitment to our university, to yourself and to others. So I'm not counting this generation out. Uh, Mark is right to say controlling um, spare time is always a challenge. Our community, uh, we're, we're a surrounding area of 300,000 people 
Uh, they're worried. You can see that reflected in some of the uh, press. Um, so we're all in this together. Uh, I uh, kid some of them, uh, and hopefully our numbers uh, stay low. Our governor is trying to maintain a 5% positive rate or below, which is a good benchmark. And uh, I think our student athletes are below that. So I, I do want them to stay away from the community right now. That could be a higher risk. Uh, uh, and, and let's not give up on, on this generation. Someone told me uh, this morning that uh, in World War II, there were some British engineers. They had an expression that says, uh, uh, we can do it whether it can be done or not. And uh, I hope our students give us that kind of attitude that we're gonna do. So Mark, August 21st is the sort of the next benchmark for division one. What must happen for the Board of Governors on August 21st to make a decision to allow for fall championships under the NCAA banner later in the fall to occur? Yeah, well, first, um, there, there needs to be a decision ahead of that on the, uh, I think it's the 15th, uh, around what the eligibility standards will be should, should students opt down or, or a, a team not participate. And that'll, that'll be the first round of conversations that the uh, Division I Council will be engaged in. Then they will turn their attention to if they believe that fall sports can be held. That's the, the vote on the 20, no later than the 21st. They'll report, the, the council will report into the D1 board of directors that, that Eli shared up until yesterday. <laughs> and and uh, the D1 board of directors, also a group of university presidents then will, will make a final determination as to whether or not they want to move forward. We, we may well see Andy between now and then some conferences make uh, determinations that, that they don't want to move forward. Uh, we've already seen a, a handful of D1 conferences uh, do that, and we may well see more as they look at the, the uh, requirements that the board put in place and have determinations that, you know, they just can't uh, conduct sports in a way that, that would be consistent with those guidelines, uh, given resources or their localities because of this hotspot phenomenon. And, and then uh, the, the board of directors can, can uh, determine that they want to move forward for Division I. The, the board of governors, the overarching body, uh, they can and have it within their power and authority if, if the season, we move into the season and we see that the virus is, is growing or that circumstances and conditions are deteriorating or that schools are not following the, the protocol appropriately, they still have the authority to say, no, stop, we're not going to have championships. So a decision on the 21st doesn't automatically mean that everything's gonna go forward, but it certainly is the most important step uh, to date. Uh, Brian, I want you to have the last word here. Uh, sometimes they'll say, you know, no cheering in the press box, but I cheer every time I see the reports from these schools that are conducting, you know, voluntary workouts and some starting to practice a little bit, and you'll see no positive tests uh, or maybe just one or two. That's what we want to see. What are you looking for as we move closer to some actual contact within football? Well, I think what we're looking for is that, you know, if you go back to the original vision of opening up America again, is that initially you get phase one right, 
And if you get that right, that serves as a foundation for really doing more and more. And, and even though there have been positive cases, the schools have demonstrated a real commitment. They're understanding more and more how to do this. I think with the scientific and clinical um, expertise that have actually been provided now as mandates, everything's really clear what to do. So, um, and, and the commitment is, is, has been phenomenal really from the coaches, the university presidents, athletic directors, uh, the team physicians, athletic trainers, and of course the student athletes. So we're just looking for going to that next phase and, and knowing that the first phase was, was, was done right. Sometimes, you know, there were long quarantines, but um, I think it's gonna be telling. And, and uh, again, if everyone does everything right and we can't control the virus, but we can control our behavior, um, well, we'll say there is optimism within that narrow path. And I want to remind all our viewers that we have archived all our episodes. This is number 20 at ncaa.org slash social series. And we've been talking about the re-socialization, the protocols. You can call them mandates, but we have discussed this for months of what should occur on these respective college campuses. Uh, Dr. Brian Hainline, as always, appreciate it. The NCAA Chief Medical Officer. Uh, Dr. Mark Emmert, the NCAA president, and Dr. Eli Papaluto from the University of Kentucky and the board from the NCAA. Appreciate you all. Stay safe. And once again, check out our archive, ncaa.org slash social series. We'll talk again next week. Thanks for watching.